Hello and welcome to another episode of the Growing Pastor Podcast, where I invite pastors and Christian leaders to share stories and advice to help you grow as a disciple, leader, and family man. I hope you'll enjoy this interview with Summit Network Church Planning resident and pastor of Grace Alive Church in Orlando, Florida, my brother, Cam Triggs. All right. Welcome to the Growing Pastor Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Lauder, and I'm joined today by my brother and friend, Cam Triggs. Uh, Cam's a church planning resident with the Summit Network, preparing to plant a brand new church in Orlando, Florida this spring called Grace Alive. And I've been blessed to know Cam, his wife, Ty, uh, their son, Baby Cam, through our uh, small group, and to have his friendship and encouragement through what's been a challenging time in my ministry. And so I'm really glad to have him here on the show this afternoon. Thanks for having me, Rob. I look forward to the show, man, and I really appreciate the invitation. Man, thanks for being here. Uh, man, Cam, I, was just, I just want to start off with, um, with your, your story. What's your ministry story? How did, uh, how did God save you, and uh, how did he kind of start to lead you into ministry? For sure. Um, my story really starts uh, at the age of two. My mom was uh, trying to escape just the typical background that she was facing, a lot of difficulties, and uh, she went driving and we broke down in Jacksonville, Florida, and uh, that's how I ended up in Jacksonville. Uh, my mom being a leader of much of the family, much of the family followed her there to Jacksonville, Florida. Um, I didn't grow up in a church background in any sort. Um, I would say that uh, Maybe the most religious thing that we had in our lives was um, my grandmother's Bible, and she might have been a, a nominal Catholic, uh, um, no uh, tight connection to a Catholic church, but um, that, that Bible used to stand in my mom's room, and I remember opening it every now and then, and I would read, in the beginning, God created the heavens and earth, and I turned to the last page and saw some red writing that said, behold, I'm coming soon. And I would close it shut because I didn't know who that was. <laughs> it sounded real spooky and scary to me. Uh, so just didn't grow up with any type of affiliation to the church. Now, my mom wanted me to go to the School of the Arts to keep me out of the public school system. Uh, didn't want me to get in trouble. Um, she wanted to keep me out of trouble, which she had witnessed happen in uh, different family dynamics. And so I went to the School of the Arts, learned how to play guitar. And it was through... Um, there, uh, playing guitar, I became with friends with uh, a lot of musicians um, who were, you know, kind of cultural Christians or were playing in the black church. And so um, in my high school years, um, I wanted to play to get paid. And so I began to learn how to play gospel music uh, with some of my friends. Again, still not a Christian. Uh, and I began to get exposed to Christianity some sort. Uh, and during that same time, there was a security guard at the School of the Arts who was also an organ player. And he began to mentor me and be friendly. And before I knew it, he invited me to his church to play. And uh, he shared the gospel with me um, one afternoon in between services. Um, I asked him, why does the pastor want me to be a member of the church? And instead of talking about church membership, he talked about the gospel. And uh, it was the first time my heart was pricked and I began to really think that if I died today, what would happen? And I knew I had sins. I knew I had um, wrong things I've done in my life. And that if God judged me according to that, I probably wouldn't make it. And so gave my life to the Lord. The Lord saved me through the, the providence of a faithful witness of a security guard who didn't look at his um, occupation as uh, middle school in any way. He looked at it as being a missionary. And it's through that at the age of 17, I became a Christian. Awesome, man. That's a, a, an awesome testimony of how like God brought you and used your gifts and talents into 
um, that church environment so that you could hear the gospel. Um, even before you were a Christian, you're playing gospel music. Uh, that's that's incredible. Um, and let's talk about that um, that relationship with that security guard a little bit. Um, you said that he started mentoring you. What did that look like? How did that like? How did he approach you? How did you respond? And uh, and what did he teach you during that season? I think he was very intentional without being um, formal. And I think that was the thing that really drew me into that relationship. He didn't approach me and say, hey, I want to mentor you. He didn't approach me and say, hey, I want to take you through a discipleship program. He basically, as an older man, said, I want to befriend you and share wisdom with you. And there was nothing else that was more explicit than that. And for me, being a non-believer, that was more organic. There was nothing strange. There was nothing different about that. And um, as uh, we began to build that friendship, he just lived the life of Christianity and he shared the message of Christianity. Um, he, he was a witness and he shared the word and uh, he shared the gospel. And as a musician, I saw somebody who was in church leadership who was living out a transformed life because of the grace he had experienced in his life. Man, so um, how did, uh, I, th I think that a lot of uh, young leaders, particularly young you know, aspiring pastors, we know that we need to be sharing our faith. And I think like what you described is, um, it was informal, right? It was just like, hey, I want to invite you into my life and I want to do life with you if we want to use the Christianese you know, right. lingo. Um, and in the process of that, I will model my faith. Mm -hmm. um, but then at some point, like the, the gospel is words, right? So how did he present the gospel to you for the first time um, in, in, of like, you are a sinner, you are condemned to spend eternity without God. Mm -hmm. um, but through Jesus Christ, you have a way back to God. So how did he articulate that? And how did you respond to that as a non-believer? Um, I think it's different for every case because I think in our relationship, I was starting to pick up nuggets and starting to pick up what the gospel was by being around him, hearing him talk about it maybe to other people, um, hearing him teach it in gospel songs, right? And hearing the preacher preach about it. Um, and then on the flip side, um, it wasn't as um, targeted towards me as much as it was an explanation of the gospel through his testimony. Um, and so he explained it through his need for Christ. He explained it through his experience of the gospel. And then, of course, reoriented towards me and told me of my need for the gospel. Um, and so it never became accusatory. It never became something that was a point of contention. It was um, first and foremost, and I believe Christians could pick up on this, young ministers could pick on this. Whenever you have um, the opportunity to go first, it gives the person you present the gospel a beautiful gift, and that is to go second. Mm -hmm. um, when you come to the realization that you're willing to be transparent about your own sins, and your own need for the gospel in Jesus Christ, living the life you could not live, and dying the death you should have died, you have a fresh opportunity for the person who is listening to you to re-engage in your testimony through the gospel of Jesus Christ. <laughs> Man, that's awesome. Uh, so how did that experience um, fuel your passion for ministry and to re reproduce that in the lives of other people? Um, I was definitely say it was a growing process. Um, this is a transition somewhat of my story as well. Um, I really began to grow as a disciple in college. Um, it was a crisis for me 
Um, I went to college, and I first time away from home, or first time away from church accountability, and um, I almost got sent home. You know, my grades were horrible, and it came to a realization that I wasn't, um, number one, uh, giving my life to Jesus Christ in the full manner in which he paid for it, and that I wasn't really um, dedicated to reading his word. And that that pivotal life moment crisis pushed me into reading the Bible. Um, during that time, um, she was just a friend, but she would later become my wife. We started reading the Bible together. Um, we started to read it chapter by chapter, verse by verse, just did a whole Bible reading plan. And uh, I was thinking about it, you know, 17 years growing up non-Christian, it blew me away to see the truths of Scripture. It blew me away to see that Moses killed somebody. Um, it blew me away to see that, that God made a promise of the gospel in Genesis. All these things started to feed a hunger for um, knowing more of God and his glory. And it just kind of served as an out, outflowing of my life. Going to the University of Central Florida in Orlando, I just saw the mission field and I saw it was right. And um, I told um, Tamara. Um, that I want to start a Bible study because people need to know about Jesus Christ. And so um, just us talking about it, instead of starting one, I just researched one that was already existing. It was an accountability group um, called Men of Valor. And I walked into that meeting, researched where they met, and then I, I started to get into the discipleship program through that and then found a solid church that was doing um, preaching, verse-by-verse verse, expository preaching. And I just wanted to be faithful. I just wanted to serve. I just wanted to be a light for the gospel um, in my I had a call to ministry, um, not coming from a church background. I didn't know what that looked like. I wasn't sure if it was about poverty and I'm going to have to beg people to pay me. I didn't know pastors necessarily got salaries. I just knew this is what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And I began to just uh, participate in Bible studies and being faithful wherever I could be. Yeah, I can re relate to a lot of that. So I was not saved till I was 25. Mm -hmm. um, and then... Uh, Lord put that desire for ministry in my heart very early uh, after I became a Christian. And uh, man, just showing up is so uh, helpful for growing and learning. And because I didn't come from a church background either, I had no framework of like what ministry looked like. And so um, that's a really cool uh, story to hear that like, you know, there, there are pastors and leaders out there who didn't grow up in church, mm -hmm. who God saved them and he saved them for the express purpose of, hey, now you're gonna reproduce this in other people. And really, like, that's the story of the Apostle Paul, right? Like, he was like a zealot. He was um, uh, militantly against the church for so long. Right. Um, and uh, then God saved him and used him in mm -hmm. such an incredible way. Mm -hmm. So um, it's a good word to, to remember that you don't have to have that background. Like, you can have skeletons in your closet. You can have a past, but right. Jesus covers that past. Yeah. And he's the one that fuels you for ministry. Right. So you, uh, you, you have your master's in the theological studies from RTS. Mm -hmm. um, for listeners who might be thinking about seminary or who have just started their theological education, would you talk about your experience uh, in seminary and how that's shaped you as a pastor and as a leader? Yeah, I definitely say my years in seminary were formative to me becoming um, a pastor, a student of the Word of God. Um, it took me further a lot of ways that I couldn't have gone on my own, learning from people who are, you know, special. Uh, that had a special passion for the area of interest. There were scholars in the area of interest. Um, it, it just takes you deeper into understanding um, how to do um, a proper interpretation of the text. You're learning in the you know capacity of community. So I was around other seminarians and you know learning from them and learning from their different backgrounds and learning from their their life experiences. Um, it was very formative for me. 
um, to, to really understand um, the high priority to be a, a student of the word and then also the high priority to be a minister of the word of God and, and prayer. Um, it was great. I, I would say to any aspiring pastor out there, um, training is required. Seminary may not be. I highly encourage seminary if it's a possibility. I highly encourage going to the right seminary um, according to your your doctrinal beliefs. Um, they always use this uh, tagline many times. You choose a faculty, not a seminary. You want to go to the people you want to learn from. Um, but at the same time, I think too many times we we kind of make it a hierarchy in in the ministry, and that's not necessarily the case. I think education, and um, you can get that through your pastor, and you can get that through a board of elders, you can get that through all kinds of different areas and venues um, to get receive a theological education. And if we look through church history, Charles Spurgeon, D.L. Moody, a lot of these guys who started these institutions were not classically theologically trained in any format. And even if you look at the disciples, Jesus picked those who were not in any type of rabbinical school. Um, and that is just an encouragement to whatever stage you are in life, God can use your gifts and talents, but you have to be disciplined for the task of study. And that's what I learned in seminary. And uh, I don't think it necessarily only has to come through that venue. So if you can't afford seminary, if you can't make it, still study. If you can, you still need to study. And the danger for those who are in seminary is to primarily rely on those studies and not actually the ministry that God is doing through you. Um, there's that tension to be just in your academics and not in the spirit, not on your knees. And so I want you know seminary students to catch that balance that seminary is a tool to take me closer to a connection with Christ, closer to seeing more of him and not for me to rely on just ministry tools um, and uh, education. And B.B. Warfield had that quote um, when, when a person made, uh, you know, an offhand uh, comment that they'd rather be on their knees for a certain amount of hours than in their books. And B.B. Warfield responds, I'd rather be on my knees praying over my books. And so both and it's a balance to understand that you need to pray when you're in Greek exegesis. You need to pray when you're in pastoral counseling, because it's ultimately God who enlightens our mind and gives us the power to do ministry. Yeah, it's such a, it's such a good reminder, uh, and we're going to talk about uh, that idea of, of ministering from a place of connection in a little bit, uh, but, but to remember that like no amount of theological studies will prepare you to be a pastor in, the, mm -hmm. in Jesus' church uh, apart from a connection with him, mm -hmm. um, and uh, to the reminder that um, education and uh, uh, preparation is necessary, mm -hmm. uh, but it doesn't have to come through seminary. So uh, I, I, I still, have, uh, I, I would like to go to seminary at some point. I haven't started yet, mm -hmm. um, but early in my ministry, um, I took advantage of every learning opportunity that I could you know, between self-study, um, which self-study can get you in a lot of trouble too. Mm -hmm. um, but then um, when I started as the pastor of a, the church that I had formerly been on the pastoral team of, um, we had a small Bible training institute. Mm -hmm. And it's something that a couple of local pastors just put together uh, it, for the purpose of educating um, lay pastors to uh, to learn not only you know the how to study and interpret the scriptures, but how to um, yeah, do pastoral ministry as well. So um, there are all sorts of opportunities that you can find out there. There's there's courses that you can take online. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I, I dug into a lot of, uh, for example, Tim Keller's got some stuff on iTunes U mm-hmm. um, that's really good. Um, Covenant Seminary has got a bunch of uh, courses for free online. RTS as well. RTS. And, so, uh, and then I took, um, I took Dr. Danny Aiken's uh, hermeneutics course from Southeastern mm-hmm. um, and just like consumed as much as I can, did the homework, even mm-hmm. though I'm not in seminary, um, just for the purpose of growing and, and preparing to really uh, to engage with the calling that God's given me uh, with the resources that I have available at the time. Yeah. Man, so after seminary, you, uh, you served as the student pastor of Shiloh Metropolitan Baptist Church. Um, tell us about what you experienced and what you learned in that season of ministry and how it prepared you for what God's calling you to today. Um, and also, um, you know, uh, I want to keep, keep going on the theme of mentorship that you've identified. So between, um, you know, you getting called into faith, you had a mentor, right? right? And then you were talking about in that season in, in seminary, you've got the faculty and you've got mm-hmm. the, um, the leaders of uh, that institution mm-hmm. who are there to guide you. So mm-hmm. maybe talk to how, um, how your time at Shiloh um, prepared you as a disciple to then become a disciple maker. Yeah. Um, let me back up a little bit, because even during my time in seminary, I was a part of a church, part of a local church. And I think that's a mistake many seminary students make to think that uh, seminary is a detour from the local church or um, some type of study abroad program and then you come back home to a local church. You cannot get the full experience of seminary if you're not serving a local church during that time. Um, You need to be under authority of elders, you need to be in the context of a congregation, and you need to be serving in ministry. We're called to serve Jesus Church. That's who Jesus is coming back for. He's not coming back for a seminary. Um, And we want to serve his bride and and grow in the context of his bride. So even in my time in seminary, I was connected to a church that I had been attending through my time at University of Central Florida and uh, RTS Orlando. I was a young adult uh, leader, did ministry there. But even then, um, my pastor knew I had a call of ministry. Um, he had a program of faithfulness. He wanted me to be there, be faithful, show up, learning as much from I, I could from him as I watched him in pastoral leadership. Um, and then uh, transitioning to Jacksonville, Florida, um, I helped with a church plant for about nine months. It was a Acts 29 church plant. And then I also transitioned to be with um, H.B. Charles at Shiloh Metropolitan Baptist Church and served in youth ministry for three and a half years. Um, In terms of development as a pastor, um, serving where you are, God is always crafting you for whatever the next season season or next stage would would be. I think there's biblical precedent for that. Uh, Matthew 4.19 says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Well, guess what they were already doing? They were fishing and God was going to take providentially what they've been preparing in their life to, to, to use and utilize through the ministry. You look at Paul. He was advancing in many years amongst all the other potential rabbis, learning from Gamaliel. He was a Roman citizen. He had all these other unique attributes that is going to make him the apostle to the Gentiles. You look at David. He is a shepherd before he actually becomes the shepherd of the people of Israel. And it's like that for any young minister that I would be talking to on this podcast. You're a youth pastor. God is teaching you to train leaders. He's training you to be an evangelist, how to lead teams. If you are an associate pastor, he is preparing you now. And and, and the thing I would say is just take the season you are in now intentionally and know that God is crafting you um, to ultimately be where he wants you to be. Um, Another thing I would say during the season that I learned is... um, God really debunked the mentor myth in my life. And the mentor myth is 
to say, I just need to find a Paul and everything I stand in need of, I'm going to get from that Paul. He's going to teach me how to love my wife. He's going to teach me how to balance my bank account. He's going to teach me how to preach, pray, do um, exegesis. He's going to teach me all this stuff. And that is a myth. And yeah, even if you, good. yeah, even if you look at the biblical scope, um, whether it was Timothy, Titus, Mark, all these young guys had um, a Barabbas, had a Silas, had a Luke in their life. In addition to Paul, it wasn't just one person. And so you need to understand that you will not get everything you need from one mentor. It's many, many times, and that's why you got to be connected to a local church too. Um, it's going to come from other faithful men of God, who are uh, God's been working in their life to to mentor you in finances, to mentor you in ministry, to mentor you in fatherhood, to be a father. It really takes the con context of a congregation or a larger body of Christ. They can be at other churches um, who are going to feed you what you need. And don't go through life being mad because you haven't found your Paul, um, that you haven't found that one mentor who is feeding you everything you need. Yeah, and then spent, it, I spent you know, seasons of my life in that exact place. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, when I was uh, pastoring the, 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 uh, the gathering church, alongside of a, a pastoral team, uh, we were all bivocational. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I really just craved that uh, intentional, like one-on-one, -on -one, right. uh, Paul, Timothy type relationship right. um, that that I saw in the scriptures and, and it wasn't there, but mm -hmm. that's not the whole story, right? right. Like, um, and, and so w when I came to Summit to be part of a, the pastoral apprenticeship, mm -hmm. um, I almost treated that as if it were the, the sole avenue of my personal development mm -hmm. as well. Um, and what I've come to realize is that um, those are structures, those are frameworks, right. those are resources. So people are resources, programs are resources, yeah. uh, but ultimately like you have to own your professional development, right? Like you need to be the one that's saying, this is where I believe God's leading me and I'm going to mm -hmm. own it and I'm going to walk there and I'm not going to rely on somebody to make me that. Right. The only person that you can rely on to make you that is Jesus and the Holy Spirit working inside yeah. of you with, um, with the with your intentional, mm -hmm. like, hey, I'm, I'm putting sin to death. I'm intentionally identifying areas where I need to grow, and I'm relying on the Holy Spirit to help me get there. That's good. And I, I would say the flip side of that and what I learned is that many times we read the Scripture and we all raise our hands and say, I need a Paul, instead of realizing that we can become Paul to somebody Amen. else. Um, so in our search for mentorship and discipleship, we can never um, stop and forget that God has called us to be multipliers. God has called us to be disciple makers. And oftentimes, the way the organic nature of Scripture and the Holy Spirit works in our lives, it is not always a peer to a mentee. Many times it's mutual discipleship that takes place. Um, often, I have learned frequently from the people I'm discipling um, and grown deeper and been conformed to the image of Christ through um, people I have brought on to be my mentees or disciple. And I've realized that even in those seasons, I have a lot to learn. Um, and so it's not a, necessarily a hierarchy. Mm -hmm. It's just realizing we're the body. Yeah, I think that's, so that's uh, my, one of my, my passions is small group ministry. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the things that I've seen as I've led small groups and I've organized small group ministry is that um, one of the most, I think one of the most critical elements 
of a growing and thriving small group is that you have uh, people from different generations mm-hmm. um, that can encourage and equip one another. Right. So I've led small groups where we've, uh, it, it was entirely like, you know, it was a, a peer group, right? It's mm-hmm. all college and career age students. Um, and there's, there are things like you can commiserate, you can say, hey, this is what I'm struggling right. with. You can share practical tips. Um, but unless you have somebody who's been there and has walked that ahead of you, mm-hmm. like, you don't have hope. There's nobody there to tell you that this is what you can do and you will get through this, right? right? And then on the flip side of that, like if you don't have anybody who's um, maybe not as far along on their walk as you are, mm-hmm. are um, you don't have that opportunity to be the body, to do the one another's of the Bible right. and to bear their burdens, to help them to, uh, to, to, to navigate those things. And in doing so, like the Holy Spirit teaches you right. through those, those, those experiences as well. Yeah. So that's good, man. Uh, let's talk about, um, Church planting, because mm-hmm. you are currently preparing to uh, plant a church in Orlando. Uh, you're going through the Summit Network Residency, so it's a nine-month program where you are just intensive preparing to uh, to plant that church and, and everything that comes along with that. So um, how did you sense that God was calling you to plant a church, and uh, how did you confirm and clarify that call? Mm-hmm. That's really good. I will say it's uh, very similar to the call of ministry in general. There's a few specific things I think that apply to church planning. Um, in general, you have to have the internal call, um, the internal call of a holy discontent for the lost, a holy discontent for the way people are dying without Christ and wanting to do something about that, absolutely. Um, a, a desire and a passion to preach the gospel, to study God's word. Um, and then an eternal call, knowing that um, by God's grace and through the fruit of the Holy Spirit, that I'm matching up with the qualifications that God has given to us in Timothy and Titus. Um, and analyzing myself and examining myself, if those things are to be true. The external call is affirmation from the local church and elders that are over your life to say, we recognize these gifts. We recognize your not only your gifts, but your character and your competence to do these things. Um, for every church that looks different, for some it's an internship, apprenticeship, residency program, others it's faithfulness, uh, close relationship with the senior pastor, but you wanna have some type of aspect of the external call in your life as well. Um, and then for church planning, um, typically there's assessments that are done uh, that are done by people who actually understand the nature of church planning. I wouldn't say we live and die by, the, by those assessments. Um, even in my short experience in church planning, people who have um, scored lowly on those tests may be wired to be excellent church planners. And so that's not a one-all for everybody, but they look for people who are entrepreneurial, people who can start up things, people who are um, able to start um, a movement, people who can uh, take uh, idea and execute it into something else. You're looking for people who are, in my uh, my mind, can develop other leaders because it's about developing other leaders in church planning. It's not about a lone ranger going out by himself and people being drawn to our personality. Um, you are starting with maybe two people, um, maybe three. It's typically you, your wife, and your children. And God is calling you to raise up an army. And so you have to find people who can equip other people leaders and then disperse them into ministry. Um, and then the last thing I would say, um, a calling to a location. Where has God given you a burden for the lost? And where do you feel like you would flourish in the context of church planning? Uh, for me, as I was analyzing places, 
I wanted to go somewhere that was a little bit post Bible Belt. Um, I wanted to go to a place that was becoming uh, more secular. I wanted to go to a place where there wasn't many multi-ethnic gospel center witnesses. And uh, for my radar and in terms of my experience, Orlando was a place that I wanted to go. Cool, man. So um, <clears throat> what would you uh, advise someone do if they're a, 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 they, they feel God's call into ministry, they think that uh, church planting might be the right uh, avenue for them? Mm-hmm. How do they get started? Mm-hmm. That's great. I would say, talk to your wife, because it might be a no from the start. <laughs> Brother, when I, when I was talking to my wife, uh, now my wife, we were uh, considering getting married. Uh-huh. Um, that's one of the first questions I asked her. I'm like, so I'm going to plant a church one day. Are you cool with that? And she said yes. So praise God. Keep on going, yeah. right? <laughs> so I, I think that's the first thing in the process. Um, even if it's a first no. Um, by God's grace, I you know hope hopefully she would be prayerful, mindful. Um, by God's grace, I'm hoping that she's speaking to your blind spots that you don't see. And ultimately, that's what the book calls us to do, right? If you cannot shepherd your own household, how are you going to shepherd the house of God? And more importantly, how are you going to start a church if your house isn't in order? It's not saying it's a call to perfection, but it is a, it is a call to a process of shepherding your wife and caring for her first and foremost. Now, I just want to pick up on one detail that you had, uh, he had mentioned in your story mm-hmm. earlier, um, is that uh, before she was your wife, you had been studying the scriptures with, with mm-hmm. Tamara, yeah. and um, just having that foundation, I right. think, is so so critical. And it's like, you know, we can go down like down that relationship path some other time, but um, just to see how, like, one, you're, you're affirming how important, like, mm-hmm. your wife is mm-hmm. in that process. Um, but then uh, to that, and this is something that, uh, that Eric Geiger mentioned on our, mm-hmm. on our last podcast, is that um, do not, don't let your, your church become your mistress, right? right. Your, your first calling is to your family and to, to your wife, and um, that's just so important. Mm-hmm. So it's good to see you model that, yeah. and it's, it's been such an encouragement to me and Cass to, to see you and Ty and, and, and your leadership in the home and mm-hmm. everything, too. So, uh, man, Encouragement to you for keep modeling all that as well. Thanks, man. Yeah, so I would say talk to the wife. Um, then I, I would say talk to your church. Um, if you're at a church planting church, church that plants churches, hopefully that conversation goes a little bit easier. If, if you're not, I encourage you to be courageous. Well, I encourage you not to have a spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind and to approach that pastor. Say, this is why I believe God's calling me to this mission. This is where I feel my gifts are led. And um, negative or positive, receive that feedback and say, is, is there anything that I really feel that the, the Holy Spirit is trying to show me? Um, and then I would, I, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, man, real quick on that. Um, so if you're in a church that um, that you uh, say, uh, you, you bring that to the pastor, mm-hmm. right? Uh, or somebody on the pastoral team. And that's just not something, even in the framework of, of how they view ecclesiology, uh, or they say that's, that's just not you know, part of our, our ministry or our mission. Um, what do you do in that situation? Um, I would definitely pray. You know, de- and I, I don't say that in a cliche manner, but so many times we make decisions without praying about them or praying with that person. Ask for their prayers, ask for them to join you in prayer. Um, and then I would say revisit um, the conversation with them and then revisit the conversation with another godly pastor, gospel center pastor who is um, intentionally trying to plant churches who view witness from afar who is godly. That can come through a network. 
that can come through your denomination. And I would say pr pursue those endeavors. Um, there's great denominations out there who are passionate about church planning. It could be Southern Baptist Convention, uh, Presbyterian Church of America. It could be one that's non-denominational. Non Acts 29 Network is great. Um, but I would say pursue those avenues, cast your net, Serve feedback from people who are over their assessment process, who can kind of vet you, understand, and point you in the right direction. And then after you talk to your pastor, talk to those particular people, I would say the best experience you can gain is to get your feet wet and your hands dirty in another church plant Amen. and see what it's like. Amen. Yeah, because yeah, church planting world is a, is a much different than the... Uh, the established church world, exactly. and there's so it many is. more challenges and, and stresses that come on, even the, the even attending a church plant mm -hmm. uh, versus attending an established church. Exactly. So that's a good word, um, man. So I, I know there, in my walk, um, I have I've brought up that church planting conversation multiple times, mm -hmm. and the first time it was as maybe a, a year into being a Christian, mm -hmm. right? And uh, um, I told the story in a podcast a, a few weeks back. Um, but I just went to uh, our our pastor who's kind of responsible for our church planning program. I said, I want to plant a church. And basically, it's like he had no interest mm -hmm. in continuing that conversation because he, like, I'm just another guy walking up to him. Mm -hmm. um, but then later, you know, through uh, I, I brought that up with, with every leader I found myself with. Mm -hmm. I was like, hey, I believe that God's calling me to plant a church. Mm -hmm. And it, it went from no to not now, mm -hmm. right? And so I think that's those are two very different things, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so I'm in a place right now where if I were to go plant a church, it would probably crash and burn. Apart mm -hmm. from the, the grace of God and mm -hmm. and and, and uh, His uh, oversight, mm -hmm. um, so I know there are still things that I need to prepare on, mm -hmm. prepare, um, but. I'm still kind of processing with like that's my trajectory. Like I think that's where the Lord's leading me, right. and so um, I just want to kind of encourage everybody listening that. Um, a no could be a not now, right. uh, but and then like you said, you got to look at those, those qualifications, right? Mm -hmm. So one, uh, are are you, do you desire it? Right. Two, um, are you qualified? Right. So when you look at the passages in, in Timothy, etc., um, and then uh, do you have that affirmation? So I think that's a that's a good reminder too. Um, man, so I want to uh, transition and talk a little bit about an idea that we've talked about before, which is the idea of ministering from a place of connection versus competence. Mm -hmm. um, what does it mean to minister from a place of connection and not from competence? Mm -hmm. uh, such a sneaky temptation, I think Satan actually tries to present to us as ministers, as um, young people who want to pursue the ministry or even those who are older who get comfortable in ministry. And the idea is um, that ministering out of competence is relying on your systems, relying on people, relying on your gifts and your talents versus... Which are, those are all things that... Those are, are great uh, things. Those yeah. are all great things, but mm -hmm. those are things that any organization can, exactly. can get by on. Right. right? Um, and instead of relying on um, the ministry of the Holy Spirit working through you and having a connection with the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ um, daily and praying without ceasing. Um, that's the danger. And so the, the, the dynamic of what that practically looks like is the pastor who doesn't have a quiet time, the pastor who is not confessing sin, the pastor who is not praying, who is not shepherding his wife, who's not asking for God to do something we can't take credit for, um, that is comfortable and the systems and, and all the type of things that have been in place for ministry to 
happen and flourish and you see numerical gain, but God is not blessing that ministry. And it's a very dangerous place to be. Why do you think it's so easy to fall into that temptation? Um, I think it's easy for an, a, a number of reasons. One is uh, we can take uh, numeric success and confuse it with God's blessing on the ministry when that's not necessarily the case. Um, the other thing is I believe that um, it takes hard work to really work on ourselves um, and put ourselves before the Lord. It's a sanctifying thing that we really need to do. Uh, but at the same time, it's so easy for us to neglect those things and uh, really just rely and put our identity and not being a son, but putting our identity and being a success. Um, so, yeah. Where were you in your ministry uh, when you first really started to take hold of that uh, that distinction and, uh, and start to intentionally kind of commit yourself to that ministering out of that place of connection mm -hmm. versus competence? I was blessed to have a pastor in Orlando um, who sit down, sat down with me, took me out to lunch, and he said, I have to have a personal time with God. There's a time when I'm reading the scripture, praying to God, and I'm not pastor so-and-so. I'm just a son. And uh, then there, there was another time, I believe it was Brian Loritz, he was speaking, and it convicted my heart again. He quoted uh, Chuck Swindoll, Charles Swindoll, and said, he um, quoted him saying this, the danger of ministry is that you can do it. And uh, elaborating on John 15, to understand that Jesus is the vine, we must be connected to him, and uh, we have to minister out of a connection with him and not merely the competence of our skills. I think, uh, uh, again, going to the theme of mentorship in your story um, and how it's like it, it, it takes other believers, mm -hmm. um, both uh, your your elders and your peers uh, and those who you're leading too, um, to to speak into those situations and, and, and ex like illuminate those things for you. Mm -hmm. Like Matt Chandler says, um, the thing about your blind spots is that you can't see them. Right. Right. And so you need somebody to check your blind spot yeah. as you go. And so it's it's, um, it's it's good like a, a solid reminder to um, to know that you can't do it in isolation. You can't live the Christian life in isolation, let alone be a, a Christian leader in isolation. And so, um, what are some uh, practical ways that you? In, in this season of your life and as you're preparing to go plant a church and you're going from the uh, number two guy to the lead guy, right? Um, what are some ways that you've uh, built those relationships and built that accountability structure into your own ministry? I think it all has to start with a gospel-centered identity. Um, if you don't have a gospel-centered identity, meaning that uh, understanding that who I am and my ultimate value is found in what Jesus Christ has done for me and his dwelling presence in my heart and his capacity to love me and, and, and grant me eternal life and he's made me alive and I'm no longer dead and uh, I'm not judged according to my accomplishments but his accomplishment at the cross. If you don't have that, you will be tempted to find that identity in all kinds of other places. And it will not grant you the opportunity to do two things. Number one, to enjoy the spiritual disciplines. If you go to the spiritual disciplines of reading scripture, praying, fellowship, evangelism, all these means of grace that Jesus has promised to meet us, you will miss the meeting as a merit-based system. Um, reading scripture, taking in the bread of life is where we go to see him, not where we go to please him. Amen. He's pleased in us being sons and daughters, 
but we have to understand this is places where Jesus has promised to meet us, not a system in place where I'm twisting his arm to bless my ministry or hopefully so I won't get caught in traffic today. Yeah, I think I think the, the the opposite of that is also true. So you can approach your ministry as like I'm going to Jesus so that He can do something for me. Right. Uh, but then also like if the the flip side of that same coin mm-hmm. of of self reliance mm-hmm. is um, that if I don't perform, mm-hmm. He's not going to be pleased with me, right? right. And so I think it's like it's like two two roads that you can go down yeah. that that have the same dangers. Yeah. Um, that come out of that, yeah. man. Let's let's uh, let's let's wrap up because I want to respect your time and I want to respect our listeners' time yeah. too. Um, just a couple of rapid fire questions. Yeah. Uh, if you don't have answers to these, that's cool. Okay. Um, answer as long or as short as you want to. Cool. Um, but what are your favorite ministry blogs or podcasts? Resources that you go to in order to uh, grow as a, a leader and a pastor? Awesome. Yeah, I enjoy the Gospel Coalition. I enjoy hbcharlesjr.com, jdgreer.com, and um, I'm always reading books. So some of my favorite people to read is uh, John Piper, Tim Keller, uh, Tony Evans, and Brian Loritz. Amen. Um, What's the most influential advice you've received as a leader in your ministry? Listen to your wife. There you go. (laughs) Um, What's the adage? Happy wife, happy life, right? Right. And you will find out that your wife and the Holy Spirit start to sound a lot alike. There you go. Um, what's something that you know now that you wish you had known at the beginning of your ministry? That is a good question. I would say I wish I had known that it is a process. There is no way, there's no instantaneous um, arrival point. You never graduate from discipleship and walking with the Lord. It's always a day-by-day process of being a son. Good word. And, man, where can uh, people learn more about you and about Grace Alive? Yeah, awesome. Uh, GraceAlive.church. You can check out the website. We're on all social media. So if you just type in Grace Alive, O-R-L, one one word together, we're on all the social media platforms. And then you can find out more about me at camtrigs.com. All right. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Growing Pastor Podcast. If you did, please subscribe on iTunes and share this episode with someone you know who desires to grow as a pastor and leader. Coming up next week, the man behind the memes, Christian Memes founder, Michael Schaefer, who's going to talk to us about his ministry and what it looks like to serve your senior pastor well. Also in the lineup, Dr. Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. So stay tuned for his interview. Until next week, I'm your host, Rob Lauder. Thanks for listening.